couple weeks ago, we started our study on John 17. We said on the front end, this was not going to be a light, fluffy, feel-good type uh, study. We're going theology, 301, 401 type stuff. And looking at a prayer between God the Son and God the Father, I'm not so sure you're going to get anything else than that. Uh, we remember we talked through that uh, the, the setting of this prayer, John 17, most unique chapter in my perspective, many people's perspective in the Bible, is they just finished up the Last Supper. I mean, they just finished up, and, and Jesus knew what was going on, so he used that as an opportunity, huge opportunity, to teach his apostles about what life was going to be without him, how they were going to be able to make it. So he does all of that. And they're getting ready to go out of the room and head to Gethsemane, and we know what happens there. Pandora's box is opened, and betrayal, and abandonment, and it seems like hell is reigning as the love of God and the the evilness of man of Satan kind of crash at, at the cross. And so just before they walk into that, just before Jesus leads the guys into Gethsemane, he prays. And we know from Scripture that most of his prayers between himself and the Father, they're all private issues. They're not, they're not public things. The few times where he prays in earshot of his disciples are for their benefit. Matter of fact, he'll actually say that at some point, that he's, he's saying this for the benefit of those who hear. And so he knows what he's taught them. He knows what they don't know, what's going to be happening in the next 24 or 48 hours. And so he he. Praise so that they can hear because he knows they need to hear this. And likewise, we need to hear this. We started a couple weeks ago, the first five verses of John 17, he prays for himself. He prays one request for himself. He's getting ready. Remember, he's getting ready to go to face the, the cross. One request for himself, and that is this. Father, would you glorify me so that I can glorify you? He prays that his life would glorify the Father. Not absence of pain or anything else. That's what he's praying for for himself. One prayer request for himself. Then in verse 6, down through the rest of the chapter, he's going to pray for his disciples. He tells us straight out, I'm not praying for the world. I'm just praying for my disciples. Interesting thing in the section we looked at last week, verses 6 through 10, he doesn't ask for anything there. He just kind of lays the groundwork as far as why he's praying for his disciples. He's praying for them because they are a love gift from God the Father to himself. If you weren't here last week, you should grab that CD or listen on- online. And now, starting in verse 11 through the rest of the chapter, he's buckling down, I guess. He's praying for his the guys. He only has, in these verses, three requests. Really, only only three requests. Now, think for a minute. What do you think these type of requests might be? And this is why I want to ask this. When we think of how we pray for the church believers, what do we ask for? Remember, the first week we said when we prayed for ourselves, what do we ask for? Last week we asked, do you love the church as Jesus does? Today, the question is, when you pray for others, when you pray for the church, what do you ask for? When you think about all the stuff you pray for for others, and then we're going to look at what Jesus prays for for the church. Is Jesus' list and my list pretty close? And if there's this wide gap between what I pray for for people and what Jesus prays for for people, 
We just need to know that Jesus will always pray according to God's will. He'll always pray kingdom values. We might not always do that. And so, so to, to try to bring the two together a little bit. College, I came across John 17. And I love this chapter so much. I, I, I put this thing to, to memory. And it has it shifted my prayer life pretty substantially at that point. So we want to take what we pray for and what Jesus prays for and kind of put those together. So if you got your Bibles, turn to John 17 as we dig into Jesus' requests for his church. And so we're going to start in verse 11. And he says, uh, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. I'm getting ready to leave. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. He's going to come back to this oneness thing. He's going to circle back to this later on in the prayer in a very intense way, so we'll get to that then. But look at that the request. Holy Father, keep them in your name. And I know what you're thinking. He's got three requests, and this is one of them. Matter of fact, this is the first one. For crying out loud, I mean, what does this even mean? You know, what is he talking about? Do you even need to ask this? Is this like waste time? What is, what is going on? What is this about? Context helps us understand what he's saying here. Verse 12, Jesus says, while I was with them, his disciples, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. So this keeping them in your name, Father, it's just what Jesus did. It's kind of uh, guarding them. It's set in juxtaposition to losing, like like Judas Iscariot. The, the shepherd guards his sheep. We were going to see he would even do that that night in Gethsemane. Remember this? When the temple guards come, Jesus says, let these go. He's protecting his own all the way to the end. Well, he, he, there's a reason why this, this prayer for protection is actually a really good prayer. Verse 14, he says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. It's kind of like if this was like a movie, suddenly the, the music goes minor, right? It's like, oh, this is kind of, what do, you, what do you mean, hates? Well, he's already told them about this, chapter 15, right? Uh, verse 18 and 20. He says, if the world hates you, he's talking to his disciples at this point, know that it has, it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Now, a couple of words we want to check out here. The word world. I would think of world, I think like of a globe, you know, and all these little stick figures of, of children around it, red and yellow, black, white, and all kind of holding hands, and, and that's the, the world. But when John uses the word world, he's not thinking big as much as he's thinking bad. The, the world is that system and all the people within that system that are opposed to God. Uh, they, they, they are, they've got laws, but they're not God's laws. They mock God's laws. They've got their own. 
They, they worship, but it's certainly not God. And a lot of it's times it's self or sex or materialism. Where they got their stuff that they worship, but it's, it's not God. It's, it's, it's the system of life that is able to have life without God. And they're okay with that. Matter of fact, that's what they, that's what they want. Now, this word world is one of the key words in this whole prayer, John 17. That word is mentioned 15 times. Because Jesus knows something that obviously we forget sometimes, and he's really drawn his juxtaposition between the world and his followers. And he says, my followers are not of this world. They were, but we, we chose them out. They were, this was home for them. They lived here. They, they lived with values and understanding and thinking and worldviews that were, were just well, did not incorporate God. That's what they were part of. But we chose them out. Now, they have to still live there, but they're not of there. So you get this prepositions rule, this thing, right? They were, they were out of, but they're not of. They're still in. So you're gonna, gonna get this. They're still there, but they're now there, scripture would say, as immigrants, as refugees, as strangers and aliens, scripture says. This is not their home anymore. Whole new value system. Whole new citizenship. They were living for here. Now they're living for a whole different world. A whole different world. And therefore, because of that, what's it say? World hates them. It hates them. Well, this is, Think about the word hate for a minute. Don't go to your Webster's for a definition because in the, uh, scripture, what the definition is of hate, the, 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 the Greek for this, hate can mean broad, broad set of, of, of meanings here. It can mean everything from, um, not first in prominence, which I think Jesus is referring to when he says, remember when he says, unless you hate your father and mother and, and your spouse and children in comparison to your love for me, you can never come after me. Well, he doesn't want us to like hate them, like, you know, trying to hurt them. He's going to tell husbands to love their wives, but you just can't put the family above him. So that's where he means by hate there. But the word hate can mean all the way, everything to a commitment to their destruction. And here, context is going to tell you what the meaning is. And Jesus has already said, if they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. Uh, this, this, this hate concept. Uh, uh, Paul mentions this, 2 Timothy 3, verse 11. He says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus has already said that. It's, it's going to, it's going to happen. Let's, I've got the, that article on Fox today. It was Fox News op-ed, actually been there for the last couple of days. But the article written by, uh, McKinnon, who was a, a White House as well as a Pentagon official. He's, the, the article's titled, How Long Will I Be Allowed to Remain a Christian? I don't know if you saw this piece. Let me just read you a couple of his lines. He says, um, here in the United States, Christians and Christianity are mocked, belittled, smeared, and attacked by some on a daily basis. He says, in college, they now teach about the evils of quote-unquote Christian privilege. On Broadway and in theaters around the world, mocking Christians has become a massively profitable money-making venture. 
In the name, on the crucifix, and in art, Jesus Christ is desecrated in the most twisted and obscene of ways. In movies, on television, and online, Christians are, are portrayed as the most dishonest, prejudiced, and insulting. Across the country, Christian colleges are under constant assault from, quote-unquote, social justice warriors, seeking to strip their accreditation and put them out of business. Christian groups on campus uh, campuses are often being persecuted, their offices and handouts vandalized, with members even being physically assaulted. Uh, the nation that is still majority Christian, those who follow the faith have been litigated or browbeaten into being fearful to utter the words, Merry Christmas. He mentions a high school football coach, I don't know if you've seen this in the news, not too long back, is fired for taking a knee on prayer. A teacher is fired for giving a Bible to a student who requested it. A Marine is cursed at and then court-martialed for not removing a Bible verse from her computer. Another Bible verse posted by sailors in a military hospital is labeled extremism. If you are a practicing Christian in the United States and open about it, you, your congregation, and your organization will become a target of some sort. It's only a matter of time. And then he says... Will those Christian children eventually be forced to renounce or deny their faith in order to get a job and provide for their families? No question about it. Christianity is is, uh, certainly under attack. And this did not surprise Jesus. It should not surprise us. It's, It's what he told us would be. It's just coming to fruition more as the country falls further and further away from their Judeo Christian, um, perspective. I'm not a gang expert, but I, 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 I'm told that most gangs have a policy, as it were, that no one gets out. No one leaves the gang. Some gangs, like MS-13, their policy is to kill those who get out. Every gang, at least I'm familiar with, I was in Chicago, I had a lot of my friends who worked with the gangs. If you get out, you can count on getting beat up pretty intensely. Often your family and those that you know were beat up as well because the perspective is, this makes sense, you're leaving the family. You're not being loyal to. You're thinking you found something better. And so they go after you. We have left the world. Jesus says, my, my, you guys used to be in there, but you're not in there anymore. But you know what? You gotta still live on the turf. Right in the middle of a bunch of people who are, who are set on your destruction. So he's praying for, for their protection. Well, this makes, this makes sense. It's like, okay, that's, I can under, I can understand that. But it gets a little more intense. I think verse, verse 15. He says, I do not ask, Father, that you take them out of the world. And you can bet that they all want to go to, don't you think all these guys would say, you want to, Jesus say, you want to go to heaven with me? <laughs> yes, absolutely I do. And then, no, 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 it's not. You got to stick around here. He says, I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. I believe keeping them from the evil one and keeping them in your name, same thing, same thing. Uh, and this is, this is where I go with this. Verse 12. Look back in verse 12 for a second. He says, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Son of destruction. Remember this earlier that evening, he told the apostles that one of them would betray him. He really didn't say who. 
I think that the only one who figured it out was John, the rest of them, because when Judas left, it says that they, they thought he was going to buy food for poor people. They did not know. So they knew that one of them would betray them. That's probably who Jesus is referring here, the son of destruction who's going to be lost. But they would find this out in just a couple hours when they're in Gethsemane and Judas comes out of the shadows leading the temple guards and they go, ah, oh, that's who Jesus was talking about. And he says, does I say this? That the scripture might be fulfilled. I'm thinking that that's a real comfort to these guys because this wasn't an accident. This wasn't like we didn't plan on a Judas or the wheels fell off or what happened. Everything was so set and now we got to go to plan B. This was nothing like that. Jesus is letting them know, no, no, this was part of the plan. He's quoting Psalm 41.9, Psalm 109.11, Zechariah uh, 11. This is, this is prophecy that Judas, that, that, that he would be, Jesus would be betrayed by your friend, that he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. This is, this is all over the prophets. And Jesus is just reminding them, this, is, this was part of the plan. That's on one level that's got to be comforting to them. But he uses this son of, of, of destruction phrase. Now, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, the Apostle Paul uses the exact same phrase, exact same wording, to talk about the coming Antichrist, the one who is going to embody Satan, who is going to uh, usher in the end times, really, is what it comes down to, the, the Antichrist. Here, Jesus uses the exact same words, exact same structure to talk about Judas, saying that Judas is cut out of the same, it's the same thing. And this makes all the sense. John 13, remember this, John 13. says, then after he, that's, that's Judas, had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. I don't know if Judas knew that Satan entered into him. Did he feel any different? Did I don't, I don't, I don't know. But you need to know that that this this satanic attack on Jesus had been going on from the beginning. Remember, Jesus is born. You know the story, right? And I think that Satan attack through Herod's proclamation that all the babies in Bethlehem are to be murdered. Satan tries to wipe out Jesus from the very beginning. And if it wasn't for an angelic interruption here, intervention, Jesus would have been killed as a, as a baby. Everything would have been, been lost. And, and then Satan comes to Jesus when Jesus starts his ministry. Huge temptations, Matthew chapter 4, basically saying, I know what you got to do. It doesn't have to be this hard. Just worship me and I will give you everything. Would he have really given him? I don't know. He's the father of, of lies. Who knows? But either way, Jesus knows and that's not the, the way to go. So Satan has to go to a different technique here, a different strategy. And so in Matthew 16, he comes through his Jesus' best friend, Peter. Remember this? And, and Jesus says he's going to die. And Peter says, oh, Lord, surely not you. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, get thee behind me, Satan. I don't think Peter recognized that Satan is part of this thing. But Jesus recognized that any, anything, any, any counsel, any advice, anything that is anti-scriptural, that is, that is not God's will, can be labeled hell, can be labeled Satan. And then this thing with, with Judas, Satan enters into Judas, 
And, and if you were to read, I don't know if you read the book of Revelation lately. Kind of wild stuff going on in Revelation, but you can label it, I think, Satan's attack on God's people. Because Jesus, up to this point, Satan and hell have been focusing on Jesus. But Jesus made it out, resurrected, alive. He's gone. And so now they turn their attention where? Fully on the apostles. Fully on God's people. And throughout Revelation, they pull all stops and they do everything to, and they get many of them. They hurt many of them. And so a question that we have to ask ourselves that we come back to again and again and again, I think, in this text, is when Jesus is praying, Father, keep them in your name, protect them from the evil one. What exactly is he asking for? What does he mean? Because, think for a second, this guy's listening to Jesus pray. There's 11 of them, right? Judas had left, so there's 11 apostles left. Ten of them would be martyred because of their faith. They're listening to Jesus pray for their protection. Ten of them will be martyred. One of them will, will die in prison. And so you got to ask, did Jesus' prayer not get answered? And here's the issue with that. If the Father didn't answer this prayer of Jesus, then what's to make us think he answered any of the others? And if Jesus is praying for us today, you know, who really cares? I mean, I'm glad he thinks of us. That's really nice. But it really doesn't matter because he'll ask things for us. And it's God's not going to do it. Father's not going to do anything about it. And so I'm still thrown out to the wolves. It's, it's useless. But we need to know that's so bogus that Jesus always prays according to the will of his father. He always, Jesus' prayers will always be answered. Really, really critical here. Because he knows what's coming with these guys. He knows the, the vehemency which hell is going to turn his attacks on, 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 on the church. What's he mean, uh, John 16, 1 through 4? Interesting, because Jesus just earlier said this, uh, John 16, I'm sorry. Uh, next slide. There we go. He says, I've, this is John 16, right? So he said this just before John 17. He says, I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you, they're going to be killed, will think he's offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. So Jesus here in his prayer is obviously not talking about physical protection. He's obviously not talking about that. He's already told them they're going to die for this. You can expect persecution. The world hates you. It's coming. It's just the way it's going to be. But then when he prays for protection, so what is he praying for? I think a great picture of this is Luke chapter 22, verses 31, 32. This is, uh, this is, this is a great case study. Simon, Simon. This is still Last Supper type stuff, but with Luke's version. Behold, Satan has demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. That your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Now, 
as we think about this whole, this whole Satan thing, just, just real quick, church can go one of two ways with this. Usually you find errors one of two ways. One error is total disregard for Satan. Oh, yeah, Satan, the guy in that red uh, jumpsuit, right? Yeah, the, got that cool looking goatee and a pitchfork and stuff. Yeah, yeah, got good. You believe in that? Good job. So there's a total disregard. Or, you know, even if he's real, let's just say he's real. He's probably hanging out in Washington, right? Or he's hanging out with the mafia. Or he's hanging out with, uh, you know, I mean, not an eerie for crying. I mean, who's, not us, not me. I mean, I'm no big shakes. I'm no threat. That's where he's just somewhere else doing something else. So he's got nothing to do with my life. That could be the thought. Or another thought is this obsession with him where every single cough I get. Satan, you know, and every single thing that goes wrong in my life, it's Satan in every single clank in my engine. It's Satan in every single person who disagrees with me. Satan, I can just tell. I just know it. That's Satan. And we're flee, flee, and we're sending for because we're just Satan is behind everything. Uh, look what C.S. Lewis said. C.S. Lewis, I think, nailed it here. He said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, it's the devils, are equally pleased by both heirs and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. Paul reminds us about this, Ephesians 6. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the scheme strategies the the plan of the devil for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places our number one enemy is not russia or north korea or china perhaps with the nation but not the church our number one enemy is not, it's not militant Islamic type folk or, uh, these degraded boss you have at work or, or pagan type relatives or an atheistic biology teacher. That's not the, the enemy. Paul says, no, 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 no. You got it all wrong. As long as you are fighting on that front, you're going to lose the enemy a little bit bigger than that. It, it's, it's supernatural forces. It's demonic in, in nature. Just wants us to know who our enemy is, who we're, we're fighting. And also look with, with uh, Luke 22. Satan's, this is, this, this is key. Satan's uh, influence, Satan's power, which uh, Satan's not equal God, right? He's not, he's not a, a mean God and then you got God being a good God. Satan's more like an evil Michael the archangel. He's definitely underneath God. He's got more power than we do in major ways, but he's not, not God. But all of his power, is directed. And this is Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not. Did you say I've prayed for you that your health may not fail? That I've prayed for you that the markets won't mess up your 401k. That I've prayed for you that you know life will be good and your relationships will be. No, he doesn't pray. Satan's got bigger stuff than that. Satan is not after our happiness or to keep us from doing our bucket list or to keep us from our financial security. He really doesn't care. He would be happy with your affluence if you had no faith. It does not matter to him. It's not what he's after. 
But he's after what Peter would say is more precious than gold, your faith. And this is, we see this in, uh, you know, the story, of course, in Job, right? Job 1, Satan comes to God because he's not equal to God. He's got to gain permission. But he comes before the Lord and the Lord says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him in his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. What's Satan? Satan's, we know he's, what he's going to do, but he's not interested in hurting Job's family or taking Job's camels or, or hurting Job's health. He's after Job's faith. For us, he's after our faith. And if the way to get it is through our family or through our finances or through our health, so be it. Satan's got no limitations as far as that goes other than what God has sets on him. He can. He can. He will do what he needs to do to go after our faith. Now, often our prayers kind of focus on the non-faith stuff. Uh, But Jesus knows, first and foremost, it's going to be a a battle. This is war. Satan's strategy, just just real quick so we, we... we know a little bit of how he attacks us. Just a reminder, we know this stuff. Uh, one is temptations. Genesis 3, it's how he sinks Adam and Eve, and basically the whole human race. He tempts Adam and Eve. If they can believe with God and God, that's fine, but you need a little bit more than that right here. Here you go. Uh, that's often after how he comes after us. Uh, Psalm 23, 1, David, Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. When you understand who who he is, you have have all you need. Then he comes after uh, Jesus, the second Adam. Same type of temptations. Jesus doesn't fall that way, but he comes after us with uh, temptations as well. He also comes towards us with accusations. Look at, look at this verse. This is Revelation 12, 10. It says, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. You know, Satan is day and night accusing you before God. Have you given Satan any ammunition? Yeah, I probably have. And you got to know, he hasn't missed it. And he is sharing that with the Lord, as if the Lord didn't know it. Anyway, um, the, the, Zechariah 3. This is a, a, a picture. Then, then he showed me Joshua, the high priest. This is not the Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, different guy. Standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? In other words, I know who this is. I know his stuff. I know. And I I chose him. When you get ready to pray sometimes. Don't does this not happen to you? When you got ready to pray sometimes, Satan is standing before God, accusing you before God. But in your, your, your shout of your own soul, 
He's saying, he's getting ready to pray. Oh, hang on. Don't you know he did this and this and this? What's he praying for? You're going to listen to these prayers? Just look at his heart, God, because he doesn't even believe you're going to listen to this anyway for crying out loud. This is a prayer warrior. Oh, yeah. This is not Satan accuse you you get ready to obey you're just doing life you don't think anything and all of a sudden something comes up in front of you and you choose i'm going to obey god here and so satan is accusing you before the father in earshot of course of your own soul he says wait a minute wait a minute god he's going to obey you he didn't think about obeying you last night he didn't obey you two weeks ago and remember a b c d this guy and he thinks this is going to make a difference this is making he's going to fail on this one too this is not Satan ever accused that way. You get ready to share your faith. You want to share your faith. You, 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 you hope to share your faith. You're going to try right now. And all of a sudden, Satan accuses pretty loud to the Father, but it ringing through your soul. I can't believe this guy is going to try to share his faith. Oh, my goodness. He doesn't, he doesn't really believe this. He doesn't walk this. For crying out loud, why should he talk this? What a hypocrite. And he doesn't. And he's going to be asked stuff he doesn't know because he doesn't know the word. And it just, does this not happen to you? Does not Satan accused? Listen, this is not a psychological deal. If we believe scripture, this is warfare. He's trying to derail us and keep us from being who, who God wants us to be. The reason why we're down here. Accusation. Yeah, it's just, I don't have this one on the screen, but he's a murderer. He's a liar. There's basically John 8, but, but basically anything evil that you can think of, Satan will use. Satan is. He's going to come against you and your faith. And what's Jesus' response? This is cool. Luke 22. Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded or asked permission to sift you as sweet. And then what does Jesus do? But I have prayed for you. Personally, I want to say, Jesus, not the time to pray for crying out loud. Just tell him no. Okay, that's easy enough. Just tell him no. We won't have any of these issues. It'll be all over. But Jesus allows this. And that's a whole different message. But his defense is, but I have prayed for you that your faith won't fail. And when you have returned, it's like an inference, isn't it? That you're going to stumble, Peter. I got it. You will. He's going to attack you, and he's going to think that he won because you've denied. But, but Satan forgot that Jesus was praying, and he comes back. He comes back. So what do, we, what, do we, what do we do with this? Just a couple things so that I can think of. First of all, comparing again my prayer list. How do I pray for others? My prayer lists and Jesus' prayer lists. What does... What do I pray for? What does uh, Jesus pray for? I know when I was a kid, I remember looking out our picture window. We were going to go to Playland that night. Playland's was a cheap, you know, two-bit amusement park. But for a kid, I thought it was wonderful. And, and so we're getting ready to go. And guess what? It starts raining, pouring rain. And I knew we couldn't go. And I just stood staring at our picture window, crying. Ooh. And my father comes up to me, ever the so compassionate one, and he, he says, son, there's going to be a lot worse things in life than rain, so save your tears. <laughs> and you know what? For a little kid, that was, this was huge for me. But, 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 but something about that 30-second that interchange stuck with me. And, and you know, as, 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 as you mature, as you grow, you put away childish things and you recognize there are some really intense things. And I just wonder if sometimes I pray, if we pray, our prayers kind of need to grow up. We're still stuck on praying. I, I wonder if my prayers, 
when I pray for other people, if they don't necessarily reflect kingdom values, they reflect 21st century American cultural values, consumerism type values. I mean, all of us have been deeply infected by this culture. If you don't think you have, you are really misguided because a fish can't live in the ocean without getting wet, right? And you cannot live in this culture without... It's coming at us all the time. You can't soak in marinade without tasting it. This is kind of who we are. And so we pray American cultural stuff, not necessarily... Jesus' heart, Jesus' mind. So when we pray for others, what do we pray for? Do we pray for, first and foremost, their protection? They're going to be under attack. They're not going to see it. I doubt Peter knew that he was demonized when he was speaking. I doubt that Judas felt he's, we're going to be under attack in ways we don't see, we don't understand, but you've got to know. According, I have a feeling Jesus knows more about this than we do. His first request is protect them. So how do you pray? Uh, second thing, you need to know that Jesus is praying for you. I think the, the, the apostles, this had to be encouraging to them, to hear Jesus say, you're going to go through it, man. You're going to be persecuted. Some of y'all are going to be killed. And then to hear his voice praying that they will be kept, that they won't be like Judas Iscariot, that they're going to they're they're make it. It had to be comforting to them. No wonder they could go out and face, throw at me whatever you need. Take my life if you need to. I know. I'm kept, man. I know. Nothing's going to take me. This is, you know what this is? This is eternal security. And it's not because we've earned it, because we're good, because we never slip up, because we don't fail once in a while. It, it's because Jesus has prayed for us. Remember we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Jesus' intercessory work is as important as his atoning work. His atoning work saves us. His intercessory work keeps us there. We are in the Father's hands. And maybe some of y'all, kind of like Peter, you've been beat up by, by, by Satan. You, you, you fell away, maybe even denied him. But you need to know, you need to be remember, Jesus has prayed and is praying. You don't need to stay there. You ought not to stay there. The whole goal is that you come back. Let me give you a close a couple of, of texts. I don't have these on the screen, but just, just powerful, powerful texts. Jesus says, says, my sheep hear my voice. Right? You know, it's John 10, 27 through 30. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give to them eternal life, and they shall never perish, ever. And no one, Bob, Linda, Jane, Satan, no one can pluck them out of my hand. My Father who gave them to me is greater than all. My Father who gave them to me is greater than all. And no one can pluck them out of my Father's hand. It's eternal security. It's so much so Paul is all over this in, 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 in Romans 8 where he says, For I'm convinced, and when Apostle Paul is convinced with the Holy Spirit's inspiration, I am convinced that neither life nor death nor angels, get this next one, nor demons nor things present nor things to come, right? Nor, nor any other power, nor, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation can separate us. From the love of God. It's in Christ Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying. Keep them. 
God's going to, Father's going to hear his prayer, he answers it. Protect them. Not, we're going to go through it down here. We will. But spiritually, we won't go the road of, of Judas. Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for saving me, not because there's anything wise or good in me, but by your grace. Thank you for keeping me, not because I, I can hold on now so strong that there's no issues. God, if it wasn't for your protecting Jesus, if it wasn't for you praying, none of us stand a chance against hell. But in the midst of all the, the fiery darts, of all the garbage that could come at us, in the midst of it all, when our neighbors ask, how do you ha- handle this? We can tell them. We, they can see. Maybe we wonder ourselves, because your power working through us. Thank you, Lord, for this promise. Thank you for praying for us, Lord Jesus. May we live in light of that. May I live in light of your prayer for us, of what's important in this world, how I'm not of this world. Even this week, we pray it. Lord, even as we come to this time of offering too, again, we're reminded of the folk who have given in the past that we might be here. But we know too, God, you don't need any. What's our scrawny few bucks for you, oh God? But as we give back, would you use it, Lord, for your kingdom's sake to get the message here to our youth on this retreat this weekend to Erie and beyond? They don't have to serve the God of this world, but they can serve you, Lord. They can know the forgiveness and the hope that you provide. Thank you, Lord. We commit this to you. Amen.